Chapter Sixteen of the Mind and Its Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassie. The Mind and Its Education by George Herbert Batts. Chapter Sixteen. Interest. The feeling that we call interest is so important a motive in our lives, and so colors our acts and gives direction to our endeavors that we will do well to devote a chapter to its discussion. One, the nature of interest. We saw in an earlier chapter that personal habits have their rise in race habits or instincts. Let us now see how interest helps the individual to select from his instinctive acts those which are useful to build into personal habits. Instinct impartially starts the child in the performance of many different activities, but does not dictate what particular acts shall be retained to serve as the basis for habits. Interest comes in at this point and says, "This act is of more value than that act." Continue this act and drop that. Instinct prompts the babe to countless movements of body and limb. Interest picks out those that are most widely connected with the welfare of the organism, and the child comes to prefer these rather than the others. Thus, it is that out of the random movements of arms and legs and head and body. We finally develop the coordinated activities, which are infinitely more useful than the random ones were. And these activities, originating in instincts and selected by interest, are soon crystallized into habits. Interest a selective agent. The same truth holds for mental activities as for physical. A thousand channels lie open for a stream of thought at this moment, but your interest has beckoned it into the one particular channel which, for the time at least, appears to be of the greatest subjective value, and it is now following that channel unless your will has compelled it to leave that for another. Your thinking as naturally follows your interest as the needle does the magnet. Hence, your thought activities are conditioned largely by your interests. This is equivalent to saying that your mental habits rest back finally upon your interests. Everyone knows what it is to be interested, but interest, like other elementary states of consciousness, cannot be rigidly defined. One, subjectively considered. Interest may be looked upon as a feeling attitude which assigns our activities their place in a subjective scale of values, and hence selects among them. Two, objectively considered, an interest is the object which calls forth the feeling. Three, functionally considered, interest is the dynamic phase of consciousness. Interest supplies a subjective scale of values. If you are interested in driving a horse rather than in riding a bicycle, it is because the former has a greater subjective value to you than the latter. 
If you are interested in reading these words instead of thinking about the next social function or the last picnic party, it is because at this moment the thought suggested appeals to you as of more value than the other lines of thought. From this, it follows that your standards of values are revealed in the character of your interests. The young man who is interested in the race track, in gaming, and in low resource confesses by the fact that these things occupy a high place among the things which appeal to him as subjectively valuable. The mother, whose interests are chiefly in clubs and other social organizations, places these higher in her scale of values than her home. The reader, who can become interested only in light, trashy literature, must admit that matter of this type ranks higher in his subjective scale of values than the works of the masters. Teachers and students, whose strongest interest is in great marks, value these more highly than true attainment. For whatever may be our claims or assertions, Interest is finally an infallible barometer of values we assign to our activities. In the case of some of our feelings, it is not always possible to ascribe an objective side to them. A feeling of ennui, of impending evil, or of bounding vivacity may be produced by an unanalyzable complex of causes. But interest, while it is related primarily to the activities of the self, is carried over from the activity to the object which occasions the activity. That is, interest has both an objective and a subjective side. On the subjective side, a certain activity connected with self-expression is worth so much. On the objective side, a certain object is worth so much as related to this self-expression. Thus we say, I have an interest in books or in business. My daily activities, my self-expression, are governed with reference to these objects. They are my interests. Interest dynamic. Many of our milder feelings terminate within ourselves, never attaining sufficient force as motives to impel us to action. Not so with interest. Its very nature is dynamic. Whatever it seizes upon becomes ipso facto an object for some activity, for some form of expression of the self. Are we interested in a new book? We must read it. In a new invention, we must see it, handle it, test it. In some vocation or avocation, we must pursue it. Interest is impulsive. It gives its possessor no opportunity for lethargic rest and quiet, but constantly urges him to action. Grown ardent, interest becomes enthusiasm, without which, says Emerson, nothing great was ever accomplished. Are we an Edison with a strong interest centered in mechanical invention? It will drive us day and night in a ceaseless activity which scarcely gives us time for food and sleep. Are we a Lincoln with an undying interest in the Union? This motive will make possible superhuman efforts for the accomplishment of our end. Are we man or woman anywhere in any walk of life? 
so we are dominated by mighty interests grown into enthusiasm for some object we shall find great purposes growing within us and our life will be one of activity and achievement on the contrary a life which has developed no great interest lacks motive power of necessity such a life must be devoid of purpose and hence barren of results counting little while it is being lived and little missed by the world when it is gone habit antagonistic to interest well as we have seen interest is necessary to the formation of habits yet habits once formed are antagonistic to interest that is acts which are so habitually performed that they do themselves are accompanied by a minimum of interest they come to be done without attentive consciousness hence interest cannot attach to their performance many of the activities which make up the daily round of our lives are of this kind as long as habit is being modified in some degree as long as we are improving in our ways of doing things interest will still cling to the process but let us once settle into an unmodified rut and interest quickly fades away we then have the conditions present which make of us either a machine or a drudge two direct and indirect interest we may have an interest either one in the doing of an act or two in the end sought through the doing in the first instance we call the interest immediate or direct in the second instance immediate or indirect interest in the end versus interest in the activity if we do not find an interest in the doing of our work or if it has become positively disagreeable so that we loathe its performance then there must be some ultimate end for which the task is being performed and in which there is a strong interest else the whole process will be the veriest drudgery if the end is sufficiently interesting it may serve to throw a halo of interest over the whole process connected with it the following instance illustrates this fact a twelve-year-old boy was told by his father that if he would make the body of an automobile at his bench in the manual training school the father would purchase the running gear for it and give the machine to the boy in order to secure the coveted prize the boy had to master the arithmetic necessary for making the calculations and the drawing necessary for making the plans to scale before the teacher in manual training would allow him to take up the work of construction the boy had always lacked interest in both arithmetic and drawing and consequently was dull in them under the new incentive however he took hold of them with such avidity that he soon surpassed all the remainder of the class and was able to make his calculations and drawings within a term he secured his automobile a few months later and still retained his interest in arithmetic and drawing indirect interest as a motive interest of the indirect type which does not attach to the process but comes from some more or less distant end 
most of us find much less potent than interest which is immediate this is especially true unless the end be one of intense desire and not too distant the assurance to a boy that he must get his lessons well because he will need to be an educated man ten years hence when he goes into business for himself does not compensate for the lack of interest in the lessons of to-day yet it is necessary in the economy of life that both children and adults should learn to work under the incitement of indirect interests much of the work we do is for an end which is more desirable than the work itself it will always be necessary to sacrifice present pleasure for future good ability to work cheerfully for a somewhat distant end saves much of our work from becoming drudgery if interest is removed from both the process and the end no inducement is left to work except compulsion and this if continued results in the lowest type of effort it puts a man on a level with the beast of burden which constantly shirks its work indirect interest alone insufficient interest coming from an end instead of inhering in the process may finally lead to an interest in the work itself but if it does not the worker is in danger of being left a drudge at last to be more than a slave to his work one must ultimately find the work worth doing for its own sake the man who performs his work solely because he has a wife and babies at home will never be an artist in his trade or profession the student who masters a subject only because he must know it for an examination is not developing the traits of a scholar the question of interest in the process makes the difference between the one who works because he loves to work and the one who toils because he must it makes the difference between the artist and the drudge the drudge does only what he must when he works the artist all he can the drudge longs for the end of the labor the artist for it to begin the drudge studies how he may escape his labor the artist how he may better his and ennoble it to labor when there is joy in the work is elevating to labor under the lash of compulsion is degrading it matters not so much what a man's occupation as how it is performed a coachman driving his team down the crowded street better than anyone else could do it and glorying in that fact may be a true artist in his occupation and be ennobled through his work a statesman molding the affairs of a nation as no one else could do it or a scholar leading the thought of his generation is subject to the same law in order to give the best grade of service of which he is capable man must find a joy in the performance of the work as well as in the end sought through its performance no matter how high the position or how refined the work the worker becomes a slave to his labor unless interest in this performance saves him three transitoriness of certain interests since our interests are always connected with our activities it follows that many interests will have their birth grow to full strength 
and will fade away as the corresponding instincts which are responsible for the activities pass through these same stages this only means that interest in play develops at the time when the play activities are seeking expression that interest in the opposite sex becomes strong when instinctive tendencies are directing the attention to the choice of a mate and that interest in abstract studies comes when the development of the brain enables us to carry on logical trains of thought all of us can recall many interests which were once strong and are now weak or else have altogether passed away hide and seek pussy wants a corner excursions to the little fishing pond securing the colored chromo at school the care of pets reading blood and thunder stories or sentimental ones interest in these things belongs to our past or has left but a faint shadow other interests have come and these in turn will also disappear and other new ones yet appear as long as we keep on acquiring new experience interests must be utilized when they appear this means that we must take advantage of interests when they appear if we wish to utilize and develop them how many people there are who at one time felt an interest impelling them to cultivate their taste for music art or literature and said they would do this at some convenient season and finally found themselves without a taste for these things how many of us have felt an interest in some benevolent work but at last discovered that our inclination had died before we found time to help the cause how many of us young as we are do not at this moment lament the passing of some interest from our lives or are now watching the dying of some interest which we had fondly supposed was as stable as gibraltar the drawings of every interest which appeals to us is a voice crying now is the appointed time what impulse urges us to-day to become or to do we must begin at once to be or perform if we would attain to the coveted end the value of a strong interest nor are we to look upon these transitory interests as useless they come to us not only as a race heritage but they impel us to activities which are immediately useful or else prepare us for the later battles of life but even aside from this important fact it is worth everything just to be interested for it is only through the impulsion of interest that we first learn to put forth effort in any true sense of the word and interest furnishes the final foundation upon which volition rests without interest the greatest powers may slumber in us unawakened in abilities capable of the highest attainment rest satisfied with commonplace mediocrity no one will ever know how many gladstones and Leibnizes the world has lost simply because their interests were never appealed to in such a way as to start them on the road to achievement it matters less what the interest be so it be not bad than that there shall be some great interest to compel endeavor test the strength of endurance 
and lead to habits of achievement. Four, selection among our interests. I said early in the discussion that interest is selective among our activities, picking out those which appear to be of the most value to us. In the same manner, there must be a selection among our interests themselves. The mistake of following too many interests. It is possible for us to become interested in so many lines of activity that we do none of them well. This leads to a life so full of hurry and stress that we forget life in our busy living. Says James, with respect to the necessity of making a choice among our interests, with most objects of desire, physical nature restricts our choice to but one of many represented goods, and even so, it is here. I am often confronted by the necessity of standing by one of my empirical selves. And relinquishing the rest, not that I would not, if I could, be both handsome and fat, and well dressed, and a great athlete, and make a million a year, be a wit, a bon vivant, and a lady killer, as well as a philosopher, a philanthropist, statesman, warrior, and African explorer, as well as a tom poet and saint. But the thing is simply impossible. The millionaire's work would run counter to the saint's. The bon vivant and the philosopher and the lady killer could not well keep house in the same tenement of clay. Such different characters may conceivably, at the outset of life, be alike possible to man, but to make any one of them actual, the rest must more or less be suppressed. The seeker of his truest. Strongest, deepest self must review the least carefully and pick out the one on which to stake his salvation. Interests may be too narrow. On the other hand, it is just as possible for our interests to be too narrow as too broad. The one who has cultivated no interests outside his daily run of humdrum activities does not get enough out of life. It is possible to become so engrossed with making a living that we forget to live, to become so habituated to some narrow treadmill of labor with the limited field of thought suggested by its environment, that we miss the richest experiences of life. Many there are who live a barren, trivial, and self-centered life because they fail to see the significant and the beautiful. Which lie just beyond where their interests reach, many there are so taken up with their own petty troubles that they have no heart or sympathy for fellow humanity. Many there are so absorbed with their own little achievements that they fail to catch step with the progress of the age. Specialization should not come too early. It is not well to specialize too early in our interests. We miss too many rich fields which lie ready for the harvesting, and whose gleaning would enrich our lives. The student who is so buried in books that he has no time for athletic recreations or social diversions is making a mistake equally with the one who is so enthusiastic an athlete and social devotee. That he neglects his studies. 
likewise the youth who is so taken up with the study of one particular line that he applies himself to this at the expense of all other lines is inviting a distorted growth youth is the time for pushing the skyline back on all sides it is the time for cultivating diverse and varied lines of interests if we would grow into a rich experience in our later lives the physical must be developed but not at the expense of the mental and vice versa the social must not be neglected but it must not be indulged to such an extent that other interests suffer interest in amusements and recreations should be cultivated but these should never run counter to the moral and religious specialization is necessary but specialization in our interests should rest upon a broad field of fundamental interests in order that the selection of the special line may be an intelligent one and that our specialty shall not prove a rut in which we become so deeply buried that we are lost to the best in life a proper balance to be sought it behooves us then to find a proper balance in cultivating our interests making them neither too broad nor too narrow we should deliberately seek to discover those which are strong enough to point the way to a life vocation but this should not be done until we have had an opportunity to become acquainted with various lines of interests otherwise our decision in this important matter may be based merely on a whim we should also decide what interests we should cultivate for our own personal development and happiness and for the service we are to render in a sphere outside our immediate vocation we should consider avocations as well as vocations whatever interests are selected should be carried to efficiency better a reasonable number of carefully selected interests well developed and resulting in efficiency than a multitude of interests which lead us into so many fields that we can at best get but a smattering of each and that by neglecting the things which should mean the most to us our interests should lead us to live what wagner calls a simple life but not a narrow one five interest fundamental in education some educators have feared that in finding our occupations interesting we shall lose all power of effort and self-direction that the will not being called sufficiently into requisition must suffer from non-use that we shall come to do the interesting and agreeable things well enough but fail before the disagreeable interest not antagonistic to effort the best development of the will does not come through our being forced to do acts in which there is absolutely no interest work done under compulsion never secures the full self in its performance it is done mechanically and usually under such a spirit of rebellion on the part of the doer that the advantage of such training may well be doubted nor are we safe in assuming that tasks done without interest as the motive are always performed under the direction of the will it is far more likely that they are done under some external compulsion 
and that the will has after all but very little to do with it a boy may get an uninteresting lesson at school without much pressure from his will providing he is sufficiently afraid of the master in order that the will may receive training through compelling the performance of certain acts it must have a reasonably free field with external pressure removed the compelling force must come from within and not from without on the other hand there is not the least danger that we shall ever find a place in life where all the disagreeable is removed and all phases of our work made smooth and interesting the necessity will always be rising to call upon effort to take up the fight and hold us to duty where interest has failed and it is just here that there must be no failure else we shall be mere creatures of circumstance drifting with every eddy in the tide of our life and never able to breast the current interest is not to splint the necessity for stern and strenuous endeavor but rather to call forth the largest measure of endeavor of which the self is capable it is to put at work a larger amount of power than can be secured in any other way in place of supplanting the will it is to give it its point of departure and render its service all the more effective interest and character finally we are not to forget that bad interests have the same propulsive power as good ones and will lead to acts just as surely and these acts will just as readily be formed into habits it is worth noticing that back of the act lies an interest in the act lies the seed of a habit ahead of the act lies behavior which grows into conduct this into character and character into destiny bad interests should be shunned and discouraged but even that is not enough good interests must be installed in the place of the bad ones from which we wish to escape for it is through substitution rather than suppression that we are able to break from the bad and adhere to the good our interests are an evolution out of the simple interests of the child grow the more complex interests of the man lacking the opportunity to develop the interests of childhood the man will come somewhat short of the full interests of manhood the great thing then in educating a child is to discover the fundamental interests which come to him from the race and using these as a starting point direct them into constantly broadening and more serviceable ones out of the early interest in play is to come the later interest in work out of the early interest in collecting treasure boxes full of worthless trinkets and old scraps comes the later interest in earning and retaining ownership of property out of the interest in charms and playmates come the larger social interests out of interest in nature comes the interest of the naturalist and so one by one we may examine the interests which bear the largest fruit in our adult life 
and we find that they all have their roots in some early interest of childhood, which was encouraged and given a chance to grow. Six, order of development of our interests. The order in which our interests develop thus becomes an important question in our education. Nor is the order an arbitrary one, as might appear on the first thought, for interest follows the invariable law of attaching to the activity for which the organism is at that time ready, and which it then needs in its further growth. That we are sometimes interested in harmful things does not disprove this assertion. The interest in its fundamental aspect is good, and but needs more healthful environment or more wise direction. While space forbids a full discussion of the genetic phase of interest here, yet we may profit by a brief statement of the fundamental interests of certain well-marked periods in our development. The interests of early childhood. The interests of early childhood are chiefly connected with ministering to the wants of the organism as expressed in the appetites, and in securing control of the larger muscles. Activity is the preeminent thing. Racing and romping are worth doing for their own sake alone. Imitation is strong. Curiosity is rising. And imagination is building a new world. Speech is a joy. Language is learned with ease, and rhyme and rhythm become second nature. The interests of this stage are still very direct and immediate. A distant end does not attract. The thing must be worth doing for the sake of the doing. Since the young child's life is so full of action. And since it is out of acts that habits grow, it is doubly desirous during this period that environment, models, and teaching should all direct his interests and activities into lines that will lead to permanent values. The interests of later childhood, in the period from second dentition to puberty, there is a great widening in the scope of interests. As well as a noticeable change in their character, activity is still the keynote. But the child is no longer interested merely in the doing, but is now able to look forward to the end sought. Interests which are somewhat indirect now appeal to him, and the how of things attracts his attention. He is beginning to reach outside of his own little circle, and is ready for handicrafts. Reading, history, and science, spelling, writing, and arithmetic interest him partly from the activities involved, but more as a means to an end. Interest in complex games and plays increases, but the child is not yet ready for games which require teamwork. He has not come to the point where he is willing to sacrifice himself for the good of all. Interest in moral questions is beginning, and right and wrong are no longer things which may or may not be done without rebuke or punishment. The great problem at this stage is to direct the interest into ways of adapting the means to ends, 
and into willingness to work under voluntary attention for the accomplishment of the desired end. The interests of adolescence. Finally, with the advent of puberty, comes the last stage in the development of interests before adult life. This period is not marked by the birth of new interests so much as by a deepening and broadening of those already begun. The end sought becomes an increasingly larger factor, whether in play or in work. Mere activity itself no longer satisfies. The youth can now play team games, for his social interests are taking shape, and he can subordinate himself for the good of the group. Interest in the opposite sex takes on a new face, and social form and mode of dress receive attention. A new consciousness of self emerges, and the youth becomes introspective. Questions of the ultimate meaning of things press for solution, and what and who am I demands an answer. At this age, we pass from a regime of obedience to one of self-control, from an ethics of authority to one of individualism. All the interests are now taking on a more definite and stable form, and are looking seriously towards life vocations. This is a time of big plans and strenuous activity. It is a crucial period in our life. Fraught with pitfalls and dangers, with privileges and opportunities. At this strategic point in our life's voyage, we may anchor ourselves with right interests to a safe manhood and a successful career, or we may, with wrong interests, bind ourselves to a broken life of discouragement and defeat. Seven. Problems in observation and introspection. One, try making a list of your most important interests in order of their strength. Suppose you had made such a list five years ago, where would it have differed from the present list? Are you ever obliged to perform any activities in which you have little or no interest, either directly or indirectly? Can you name any activities in which you once had a strong interest, but which you now perform chiefly from force of habit and without much interest? Two, have you any interests of which you are not proud? On the other hand, do you lack certain interests which you feel that you should possess? What interests are you now trying especially to cultivate, to suppress? Have you as broad a field of interests as you can well take care of? Have you so many interests that you are slighting the development of some of the more important ones? Three, observe several recitations for differences in the amount of interest shown. Account for these differences. Have you ever observed an enthusiastic teacher with an uninterested class? A dull, listless teacher with an interested class. Four, a father offers his son a dollar for every grade on his term report, which is above ninety. What type of interest relative to studies does this appeal to? 
What do you think of the advisability of giving prizes in connection with schoolwork? Five. Most children in the elementary school are not interested in technical grammar. Why not? Histories made up chiefly of dates and lists of kings or presidents are not interesting. What is the remedy? Would you call any teaching of literature, history, geography, or science successful which fails to develop an interest in the subject? Six. After careful observation, make a statement of the differences in the typical play interests of boys and girls, of children of the third grade and the eighth grade. End of chapter sixteen. Recording by Cassie.